Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is Alan Moore and you're listening to Gaelic Games Europe's twice-weekly podcast, This Sunday's Game. Warm welcome to This Sunday's Game on a Sunday. We've got a top-notch show for you today with guests from media and sport. First up, we have Jonathan Higgins. He's well-known to listeners of Off The Ball and News Talk FM and many of stations besides, and to viewers of Virgin Media TV. He's going to tell us about the crisis facing sports media in Ireland as it looks very much like it's going to be a sport-free summer. And he has a few tips of what we might be interested in watching during this lockdown. We'll also have a chat with Sinead McNulty, Director General of the Camogie Association, about the continued growth of the beautiful game at home and abroad. And of course, we'll get her opinions on what's going to happen with the sporting calendar in the remainder of this year. A few bits of news before we throw in. While the GAA ponders a closed-door season, in Germany, the Bundesliga is going to close their doors and go ahead and play. It's going to restart on May 9th. Now, there is great opposition from social groups who feel that the money might be better spent elsewhere, especially rather than continuous testing for wealthy footballers. In England, the Premier League, of course, as usual, is following the GAA's lead and having to think about banning fans. Some would say, not before time. Meanwhile, the Dutch went a step further than even their Belgian neighbours. Now, in Belgium, the football season had ended just before the playoffs, and they said the league table stands as is. However, in Holland, they've said that the whole season is null and void. This past Friday, the weekend-long NFL draft began with the worst teams of last season having the first pick of the best college and university players. The absolutely dreadful Cincinnati Bengals from last year, they picked Heisman Trophy winner Joe Burrow, who of course was quarterback for the college championship winning team of the Louisiana State University. Last seen, Joe was putting in an intercounty transfer to play football for Mayo. Joe said, better to have hopes and dreams crushed in September in Crow Park than to start in September in Ohio with no hope at all. Well, interesting enough. A little bit of history on Friday the 24th, the, in 1916, the Easter Rising began in Ireland. Yesterday, April 25th, it was 201 years since the birth of the only landlord in Ireland whose tenants and townsfolk erected a statue to him in grateful thanks. Who is it? We'll tell you at the very end of the show. However, we're going to go straight away across to Ireland and speak to Mr. Jonathan Higgins. A man whose voice lights up Sunday nights in Moscow uh, for all our European listeners and also for this Sunday's game, a real tried and tested journalist, a multi-sports journalist, I have to say. He, of course, works with News with Virgin Media. A very welcome to this Sunday's game, Jonathan Higgins. Thank you very much, Alan. It's, it's great, great to have you on. Uh, the first, actually the first journalist we've had on the show so far. Very good. I'm honoured. It's, it's, it's a tough time, I know, for, for sports media, especially in Ireland. How is the shutdown impacting so far? Well, hi, Alan. And I suppose to start off, initially, the sports media industry wouldn't have been in a great position before this lockdown and this pandemic has come, has come around. So you're not starting off in a great place. You take away the lack of uh, live sport uh, completely through. And live sport, as you know very well, is the oxygen for any form of sports media and you're left with the uh, and you factor in then as well that whole country's office blocks etc cetera, etc cetera, 
are completely closed down. All in all, you're left with a very dark situation and there's no real way to gloss that up. A lot of people are in the same boat. Anybody that is, is lucky enough to be still working is primarily doing it from a, a skeleton building and or recording studio and most people from home and we've seen for more kind of remote uh, remote uh, zoom calls skype calls etc etc and a lot more thinking outside the box i suppose like anything you can go a weekend or maybe two or three weekends in, in a row without sport you can start doing feature pages you look back this is in a day you look back at the the greatest games etc but, but there's only so much that you can do over that and so many different varieties and people have been so sharp-minded and some great ideas out there but it, it it is a struggle so it's um the scary thing is when you kind of look into the future for the not just for the media industry but i suppose for a lot of other industry as well uh, is that it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel we don't really know when things are going to come back to normality we can't complain too much about it uh, it, it is a kind of a life and death situation for for many people and we have the frontline workers and so on and so forth however we appreciate uh, the sports media when the games are in full flow and good sports journalists like yourself bring that extra bit of color that extra bit of interest uh through their words and their actions to to make us you know to sell sports um not just as a lifestyle but as a kind as as a way to let's just say escape reality now reality is hitting home it's not just that people are are wanting to go back to sports or to train or to play or to watch they, they need that a bit of, let's just say, adrenaline to hook into them to to get them through a, a normal day, Jonathan. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Like, firstly, just to reiterate what you said, like, obviously, this is life and death and, and it's awful. Sometimes you get a bit too immune to when you hear numbers being rattled out at the end of the day, X amount of people die. That's still a horrible situation. So obviously, can't emphasize just how much of a, an, an issue that is. Right? But that being said, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with admitting and I'll openly admit that, by God, I miss I miss sport. I miss sport so bad. It was a huge part of my life. Um, and I think I think there's a very good point to be made for if it can be done in a controlled environment, that it, it would be for the benefit of a lot of society, even for to go as far as for, for a lot of people's mental health, that they have something. To, to look forward to something like people that are you know that are working at the moment are kind of rolling out of bed you don't know what day it is they're just burning through series of box sets and netflix or whatever they're walking the dog i don't know how many times in a row there's this complete um, mundane it's it's just repetitive there's nothing to look forward to there's no escapism and that for me is, is the true joy of sport you know you can there's so many people you can look forward to all week you can work away in a job that you might necessarily like but you look forward to you know you're watching your team play at the weekend and then that's the whole emotion that you can release and i think i think our bodies need that our minds definitely do and it would be great i would say if we can get it back in a control environment because the thing about i love about sport as well is it's just that escapism yeah, you know it's the famous famous lines where you know watch people they can be the quietest people in the, in the world, but then they go to play or watch the team play and uh, and they, they completely let themselves go. But it, that that's the joy of sport and the joy you can bring people's lives and from your own great shows as well. How we can we can bring that to the listeners as well. It's just it's a perfect form of escapism and we really really are I think as a society missing that at the moment. And touch wood, we can get that back, even if it is a controlled environment because the options are. Do we go like behind closed doors, which, yes, is going to be a strange, very strange situation. But 
I think we'd all grab your hands off but for for that at the moment, wouldn't we? We would. And this, listen, you, you, you're spot on with that, John, because again, it's something that you brought up about mental health. Now, we've been discussing mental health uh, on the first two podcasts and, and even on the, you know, of course, it was capital sports. We, we always sort of say the, the benefits, not just for the body, but for the mind as well of sport, both playing and watching. Now, sometimes, it has a negative effect on the mind when you just turn around and see, oh my God, we're after conceding in the last minute or we've, you know, if you're a Mayo fan, of course, it's, um, it's that connection with people in sport. So when you hear people saying, oh, I don't like sport, how can you not like sport? How, you know, you, you can't say, I don't like music. You can't say, I don't like art. You might not like one point, type of sport or whatever, but it's so important to get it back. How empty will be the summer in Ireland, Jonathan, for, for the GAA community? It's almost unthinkable. I don't really have the words to describe that void that would be left. Uh, it's hard to describe just how much, how much of an emotional world, kind of collective attachment uh, the GAA Championship has. Think about Wexford last year. I just remember looking out, watching all the cars flow in for the Leinster final and just car after car with the purple and yellow coming through, it seemed like the place had just emptied. You, you, you go, you watch a Mayo match. There could be a Mayo match on the moon and it'll be full of Mayo people. Um, the dubs on, on Hill 16, that colour, that emotive atmosphere, that kind of pride in the area that you come from, it, it's just hard to describe. And the, the highs and lows of the summer, it, it's it's almost unthinkable, really, to, to imagine a, a summer without it. Like, you just hope that, the, you know, some balance can be made and just despite all this conversation you have to you know strike the important thing in people's lives and get in control of the virus but i think it has to be done and have a little bit of this i think our lives have to come back to a bit of normality or i know personally i'll, I'll go i'll go bonkers <laughs> if, if, if something doesn't happen what what that is i don't know but look you know yourself as well from being being from ireland look championship sundays just even people that wouldn't necessarily have any kind of interest in sport all of a sudden they're they're sucked in with the whole collective spirit um yeah. the pride in the area it's 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 just hard to describe and it's i repeat it's it's unthinkable if it doesn't go ahead with the, the team russia players coming over who uh, the majority of them uh, had never been to for example for co park the russia community they watched hurling and it was limerick and kilkenny and they just you know, they were blown away by the atmosphere, by the energy, by fans all sitting together and mixing. For them, it was a completely different world. And it absolutely hooked them. And that's the thing for me, is to think of how tough will it be? Because across Europe, Jonathan, right now, we, we've been closed down for a long, long time. We, Of course, different countries have different um, rules, but we're still trying to take care of ourselves the best way possible. And it is an issue where you know, people are itching to get back out, but at the same time, people are very, very worried. Do you find that in Ireland as well? People like want to get back out, but they're kind of afraid of infecting people further down the line. Yeah, there's definitely a, a fear factor kind of striking through, I think, all society. And then the longer it goes on, I think the, the bigger and wider that's going to continue. Uh, the biggest thing is people don't have an end date. I think if you had a, you know, there's a line in the sand, you know, you have to, stay at home until the 20th of whatever month it will be. You don't want to do any speculation. And then people can look forward to that and they can go, okay, fair enough. But it's just the unknown qualities because we had a lockdown from the 12th of May to the end of the month. And then it was just extended again another three weeks. And who knows if it's going to be extended even more. And it's just that not known, that uncertainty is really, really struggling. Um, and 
I keep going back to it. There's no form of escapism. There's no form of, of mental escapism. Most importantly, I think from a sports point of view, that adds to the struggle struggle even more. And um, yeah, <laughs> it's I don't want to come across too too down and, and deep, but it is that's how much of an impact sport would have on on my life, <laughs> whether for good, for better, or for worse. Sport for me, sport is life, and that's the most important thing. You were speaking just a couple of days ago with an intercounty hurler. Uh, how is he feeling about the whole situation? Does he also feel, without a kind of a, a start date, that he feels a bit helpless? Yeah, they're very frustrated. That's the tone. Because I was curious to see what, because you all hear these stories come out and like, oh, there'll have to be a restructure, or there'll have to be games behind closed doors, or they'll have to call it off. And you get angles thrown left, right, and centre. So I was just curious to see what kind of the, the, the tone on the street was. And from a player's point of view, I think any player that has trained uh, hard over the summer, that's put so much of uh, the time, and obviously the JB and an amateur sport as well, they've had so many family and time kind of spent uh, in the training and getting their bodies and getting their absolutely ready for for, for for league and chapter for that to be taken away is unthinkable particularly for for players that may be coming towards the end of their careers obviously both Gaelic football and hurling the pace of the game has, has got incredible now so it is a young guy sport um, and anybody that's looking towards the last couple of events of their career they don't want to waste a year and that seems to be the key thing and it appears that the big, big thing is they want to get the games back up, back up in, in whatever format they can, whether I was even curious to see would, because obviously we spoke about the GA Championship here as well and how it's the big fans and the emotion comes together and packed out venues all around the country. How would it be a situation where they're playing them behind closed doors? They felt that wouldn't be, the player I was speaking to felt that that wouldn't be an issue. He's more important that get the games on because from his point of view, the players are the most important uh, identity in the in the in the GEA, and despite the loss of revenue that there would be ensured, it was it was vital that the players' wishes were looked after and that the games would continue in some format. Uh, one of the one of the kind of discussion things coming around is the ban or the is lifted and we go back to play club championship and to use that as a training period before we go back to potentially an old school knockout uh, All Ireland series like, like the hurling and football used to be prior to. 2001 um, so but that, that's the big thing I was just taking aback a little bit of just how uh, how motivated the players were that their wishes were to get games back at all costs and if that's behind closed doors so be it in Russia they're chomping a bit as well Russia now interestingly they say that they're going to move the uh, league they've played the league off in maybe September October finish the season and then start a new season going back to the old summer schedule so it'll actually go to the old style Russian season the same as we have in the League of Ireland before we go away because I want to keep you on you did an absolutely terrific piece with Virgin Media uh, TV uh, in regards to sports documentaries that we should watch now of course it's not the same as actually being there or kicking a ball or poking a slitter uh, it's still something to um, to get excited about can you give us a rundown of what you would um, recommend people should watch if they haven't watched already Firstly, this was a tough choice because I actually find myself watching more sports documentaries than reruns <laughs> of, of of sporting occasions. I just find the, there's only so many times you can watch a certain game. I, I, I enjoy a documentary where you get to see uh, scenes and dressing rooms and team meetings and stuff like that that you wouldn't necessarily get to see day in, day out. And as a sports fan and a journalist, I, I'm kind of 
I really, really, I really, really enjoy that. So the the top of the list was obviously the the infamous um, Sutherland Till I Die, the Netflix series that um, just hooked me. It's not the best off area, but they're just obsessed with their football. They're ended up down a League One. They've got new owners now for the second season, and they're trying to come back. And it's it's just it such a quality line. We we spoke a little bit about how the emotion yeah. captures people. You get really get to see it in, in that series. Um, some of the other ones uh, we had on as well was there's a, from an Irish point of view again we spoke about the GAA it's actually available on YouTube A Year Till Sunday it follows the Galway 1998 All-Ireland winning team again you could see behind the dress rooms probably the only unique really one from a GAA point of view where you get to see that behind the scenes it's a good little uh, it's a good, yeah. your listeners might, might like that one as well we had had some more than as well. There's a Formula One, Formula One, one Born to Drive on Netflix as well. That's a great watch. Um, there's the Lines, Following the Lines tour as well. It's on the Skybox office. I'm not sure if it's available to you guys. I'm sure you'll you'll be able to find a link somewhere. We'll find a way to get it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a that, that's a good one as well. Um, the test is on Amazon Prime as well. It follows the Australian team after the whole Sandpaper Gate, how they tried to rebuild. Oh. Uh, their team and their identity and I found that fascinating as well because you get to see behind the scenes they were left you know absolutely humiliated by both their fans the public even the government their own government threw in as well um, so that's a very good watching how they rebuild and, and come back and to take, take place and almost go the full circle that's really watch actually that series The Test uh, are behind the scenes on, there's a good few of those ones on Prime you get to see the Philadelphia Eagles there's the All Blacks there's Borussia Dortmund there's Man City. There's some great ones out there. Have you seen the, the new one that uh, we, we actually commented uh, on as well, actually on Capital Sports and everything, where uh, The Last Dance, the Chicago Bulls. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, the first two have come out, and the next two will be out tomorrow, um, as in Monday, and they're just absolutely riveting watching. And you already from the first two, anyone who hasn't seen it, with the first two, you sort of look at, Michael Jordan in a very different way and you start to associate with characters within the show um, so yeah it's if Sunderland Till I Die made me fall back in love with uh, Aidan McGeady so um, that, that so that, that that was one good thing I guess <laughs> very uh, good yeah that's yeah there's some great ones out there and that Michael Jordan one is is just I can't believe them it has waited a week before yeah, watching I, another two, but so <laughs> we're going old style. We're going back to old style TV, John. Before before we go, if the uh, if the GA season was to restart, how big of a boost do you think it would be uh, for Ireland as as a nation? Oh, it'd be massive. Um, it, it's it's unthinkable if if they if it doesn't go ahead. Um, even if it's behind closed doors, and we just have to watch it. Um, from home at the weekend, so be it. To have a game to look forward to, the live sport to talk about would just be incredible. And then you add in the emotive factor, the pride in your area that your form's supporting that team throughout and going back to a potential old school knockout would just be incredible. Imagine if the dubs get stopped on an old school system <laughs> from, from great neighbor. Can you imagine the, the scenes there? It's just, uh, because the thing about it is the leagues had started off so great as well. You, it's, you, you, you know, you'd carried doing well, you Dublin doing well, even from a personal point of view, oh, we were doing very well. Yeah. Kind of reborn under Porek Joyce's manager you're so looking forward to the championship and then this hits the brakes on it from the Harlem point of view as well you'd Limerick and Tip in great form a couple of other teams up, around, up coming up around them 
you're just gunning for the summer and um, please God we'll we'll get we will get something any form we'll just take anything really at this exactly <laughs> and look we, we, we can't allow Tip to uh, remain reigning champions of 2021 that's just unthinkable whatsoever it is uh, absolutely <laughs> John listen thank you so so much take care and uh, we'll talk to you again very very soon my pleasure T- stay safe guys Okay, that was Jonathan Higgins, of course, from News Talk Radio in Ireland and Virgin Media Television. So I'm delighted to be able to welcome onto this Sunday's game the Director General of the Camogie Association, Sinead McNulty. Sinead, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you very much, Alan. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Now, of course, I do have to say I have a bit of skin in the game in terms of that uh, my grandmother, my dad's mom was the first generation of our family to play in Crow Park. Of course, she played Camogie. She played, well, she didn't play in a 36 all Ireland final, which, of course, Laos lost. But she did play then later on the Leicester Championship. A lot of us in Ireland all have either Gaelic football, hurling, or Camogie in our families. Same with you. Okay. Yeah, so um, listen, my family came from, um, I suppose, a, a, long, a long line of Gaelic Games supporters and fans, and my dad talks with very fond memories about his dad bringing him to Crow Park. Um, unfortunately, his dad passed away when he was only 14, so he started working pretty much straight away then. Um, yeah, probably not as strong as some uh, families, but we've always been massive supporters and the All-Ireland final day, both hurling and football, was always a day to uh, to be tuned in to Michal Marhertig on the radio or watching on TV. And certainly I played um, at a club level myself in, in Gaelic games, a little bit longer in football than Camogie, I have to confess. Um, but... <laughs> um, yeah, like Gaelic Games has been a huge, a huge part, certainly, of my life um, for the last 25 years or so. You know, no matter what, if you come from a, um, even a rugby background or football background or soccer background, it doesn't make a difference. There is something about, the, about Gaelic Games in Ireland that just sweeps you up. And no matter where you are, whether you're from a small county, a big county, when you see the flag start to go up at the start of the summer, it really lifts the spirits and it makes you feel part of a tribe. Do you think that that's very important for, say, the growth of camogie for people to feel part of a, a camogie tribe or just part of a GAA tribe? Yeah, I think it's it's important for us to recognise the camogie tribe in and of itself. If if we had every single member of the camogie association come to our All Ireland final, we would fill out Crow Park. <laughs> and sometimes we need to tell people about that a little bit more. We we're a huge part of the the GAA, the GAA family, the Gaelic Games family. But we have been a long time established and as Camogie as a sport in itself has separate recognition, whether that's through the UNESCO status that was granted in 2018 along with their hurling, um, but just Camogie itself. And I know a lot of people since I took up the role last June, a lot of people have come up to me to tell me a little bit like yourself around their grandparents' um, generation who've been involved and were around at the start of Camogie um, when it was establishing itself as a formal organisation uh, separate to the GA. Uh, so I think, you know, ultimately it's a huge part of being Irish and feeling part of that that Irish tribe. When you see somebody, you're travelling across Europe, you see somebody with a hurl on their back, you know exactly where they're from. Um, <laughs> so that's really important. But I think the power of the club, can you can never get away from that. And I think it's a wonderful thing that unites communities um, and we see it certainly here with with COVID-19 at the minute and how the um, Gaelic Games family, both Camogie, um, ladies football and the 
men's games and hurling football are are contributing to their community and helping. Because of course, I mean, the challenges that people are facing. We, we, you know, we look at say the intercounty players, and some of them are saying, "I I, I don't care. I want to just play. I've been training." Yeah. And then you got to a club player who also wants to play, and then you got the people who would like to go to matches. Like I'm thinking of my relatives, you know, down in Louth, for example, who would um, go to a junior club match. And there'd be a couple of thousand people at the matches and they enjoy it and they feel part of something. It's a way to, I hate to say it, get out of the house and make a connection. How important do you think it is that we continue this through COVID, that we have this connection with the community, which has been done very, very well by our Gaelic Games in Ireland, it has to be said. For me, it's very important. I mean, it, it's so unusual to have all of these evenings and weekends in what's approaching summertime like as soon as the clock changes that's usually right that's when um we start attending evening matches and all of your weekends are gone and you pretty much right off the summer and see people at the match or if they're not into it you see them in october for us like what, what i'm seeing with our, our camogie members across the country is really unique ways of keeping camogie going so for the club players and the county players, they're trying to they're trying to stay match fit and match ready, even though we don't have any definitive dates of going back. And that's really hard because people are trying to keep their motivation up. For our juvenile players, they're having some really fun times putting together videos and demonstrating their skills and doing challenges. And that's been really good to see as well that they are they're still connected to each other. Um, but some fabulous stuff. There's a club down in South Leash um, did a fab five minute video of skills. Um, my own club Brown Towers in Clondalkin, they're under 12 camogues or were out uh, doing videos. So people are, are still they're getting into their jersey and they're doing stuff that is part of the club and part of the community. And you might have heard um, Sarah Dervin, the Galway captain, a couple of weeks ago. Her wedding was cancelled as a result of it. So, and one of the things that she spoke about was just the the gap in her life training with the team. I think how she described it was like there's 40 women and you see each other a couple of times a week and you're training together and you know through thick and thin. And there's just this gap, you know, you're suddenly training on your own. So um, I think people are using other ways to to do that, whether it's, you know, group training sessions. I know even the staff in the Kamoki Association, we have group training three times a week. So we have lunchtime fitness classes um, that everyone gets together because it's just good. You know, it's nice to yeah. it's nice to we miss that tr- that opportunity to train together and, and you know, share time and share challenges and burpees. Yes, still yeah. the dreaded burpees. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Like, I mean, whoever invented burpees, I think they just hate humanity. There's someone who woke up in the morning and said, I know I'm going to torture these poor individuals, you know, and you just want to, I don't know, like take, take a hurl to them, you know. If we're looking at it like now, do you think that this time, a lot of people, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we spoke with, we spoke with Dr. Kira Kelly from News Talk and we spoke about perspectives. Do you think that this has sort of made us realize just how much sport means to us? Because... Honestly, I've worked in sports for nearly all my adult life and now I really desperately miss it. And the thought of not being able to go home this summer and take my young lad to Crow Park again or to Park Talton or wherever it may be, I feel lost. I think everyone does. It's... um... It is a huge, huge part of our lives. The, the funny thing in, in my house, my, my um, partner wouldn't have played Gaelic games past sort of 15, 16, turning on the radio at the weekends and there's no sport. 
and I'm I'm like craving sport on the radio and he's like oh man isn't it so nice to have a change and it's all music on the radio at the weekends because usually I force him to listen to sports results all day long on Saturdays and Sundays and joking aside it is it is a, a, a huge a huge gap and and you know, the reality people people so many people have lost their lives and so many families are suffering as a result of it so when you look at it from that perspective sport is really you know a nice to have um in comparison to in comparison to that however for myself and for my colleagues and for everyone working in sport it's our livelihoods it's it's our yeah. employment it's it's what we do and for the rest of the so that's 35,000 people in Ireland approximately that are directly employed will people return to club games and you know will that focus come back into the community side i know certainly when we were playing football you could have 30 people on the sideline would you be getting 200 on a sideline or 300 because people are just delighted to be out and delighted to be in their community a lot of people saying you know that um it'll be it'll be you know kind of like the thought of going out into the pouring rain to play a, a, a junior c match it's heaven you know, people now are going, you know, like lads who be like, oh, I won't go training on a, on a Wednesday. Now they will. Well, I, I do have a feeling that human nature is human nature. And after a little burst, suddenly when it comes October, I can see people going, ah, oh, it's Tuesday night. I'm not going to bother training because I'm going to go out and have a few points or something like that. Yeah, I had the great pleasure, Alan, to, to attend the European Hurling Camogie Finals in Dresden last October. Oh, God. Uh, it, it was it was my first um, my first outing with with European Camogie. I remember one one of the guys playing um, hurling. It, I don't know if you you remember the day. It lashed rain. It was, the wind and, and was actually in half. We were going to cover it live, but the, remember yeah. that the camera terror started to blow. Yeah. Up. And the, lap, and the laptop got so, soaked, so he couldn't do it. But I remember, it was so wet. And I remember a guy turning around to me, I think he plays with hurling in Madrid. And he was like, I've forgotten what playing in, hurling in Ireland is like in the winter. You know? We had the World Games last year. We had camogie teams from Europe coming across, of course, and they, they got stuck in, they did well. We saw the, the quality of teams from America, from Canada especially, they're very, very good committed players. What would you ideally like to see, for example, just in Europe? The first, first thing is is about growing, growing the game, um, growing awareness of it. As you say, that day, that day in Dresden, um, I met a couple of ladies. Some of them were playing camogie for the first or second time, um, and they, they just taken it up and were just fascinated by it. So really, it is about raising awareness of the game. If people don't know about it, they don't know to look for it and they don't know to to, to seek out their local Gaelic Games family, where, wherever they are. So I suppose one of the benefits we've had during this um, time period is because there's a lack of sport on TV, the European Broadcast Union are going to be broadcasting some of our camogie games um, the last 10 years of All-Ireland Finals. Fantastic thing, RTE are um, obviously the national broadcaster in Ireland and they have added the last 10 years of camogie games to the RTE player. And that's again to raise raise the profile of the game. They're sharing it with the European Broadcast Union. So I'll let you know as soon as I get the, get the details of where, where and when. For me, it is, um, it's a skilled game and people... Um, have a fear, certainly in Ireland, people are afraid to take it up at a later stage. And what I've seen across Europe is people aren't afraid to take it up. They've played tennis or they've played field hockey, lacrosse, and they recognise the transferable skills. So it is about getting a hurl into people's hands and getting them to try it. I, we spent some time in Canada before Christmas. So we had the, the All-Star Tour to, to New York in November. Myself and Noel Williams, our coach, um, 
development coordinator and we ran coaching courses up there and some some of it was again it's about developing um, relationships with universities so they had a, a really nice model there where they had an Irish studies group who focused in on camogie and taught camogie and set up a camogie club um, where students were actually learning about the game and then trying to coach it and, and you know set up the club so I find I come from a university background myself so students get an opportunity in university to try sports that they wouldn't have done before they might not have had in their in their local town so I think that's a way we can get people trying trying the sport European competitions several weekends all over the summertime how much are we broadcasting that? How much are we engaging um, with local populations there, the Irish populations or just sports populations? Yeah. Can we use the networks of sports people and women's sports people across Europe and across the world to promote camogie? The, the push for equity in terms of TV coverage and media coverage, certainly not there yet, but there is a push for it. So there's an appetite out there to show more games, to cover more um, events on media. We've got massive connections across the Gaelic Games family internationally. And sometimes I think we just don't harness them enough. We just don't ask people to help us enough. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's one of the big, the big things for me. Some of the social models of, of camogie or of, of Gaelic Games generally, where people can come along and play the game for the first time. They can join a group. It is acceptable not to be perfect. It's acceptable to be learning the sport and to be trying it and just to be willing. And that's enough. And teach them the basics and accept if they're not perfect all the time, but get them playing the game and get them coming back and make sure that the fun is there. The environment is there. The coaching is good. Like that's really important that people are getting good coaching. Um, but not necessarily have to train three nights a week with another two mornings in the gym and then a match at weekends, you know, so it's, it's finding that balance. So there's some great stuff done in Europe that I think we could probably bring back to our Irish clubs as well and develop the social game. So that's one of our objectives in the new national development plan um, as well as growing the game in Europe. In terms of the, the, the development plan, um, what, what is the plan to move that ahead to get greater recognition for camogie? Because we've seen ladies getting football growing and camogie, ladies camogie, which I think has been you know, a, a very undersold game, not going as quickly. What, what have you got in, in, in plan to develop? Well, we've certainly invested hugely in our staff team. I suppose that's the, that's the first thing. We've we've a fantastic team of people. You know, as, as as they say, we're building on the shoulders of giants. There was fantastic work done um, by colleagues who were there before to develop the game. And you know, you talk about the the um, Gaelic for mothers and others. I was involved back in in the university with Mary O'Connor, and we were looking at Camogie um, in um, DIT or TU Dublin as it is now. And there was a project called Puck Around Town because it was again recognition that there there wasn't as much camogie in the city centre as there had been as there would be in sort of more rural environments. But it, there's something about building building the confidence for players. So I suppose that that's that's part of it is is encouraging people that you can just take it up. There's absolutely no barriers to to trying it and there's no expectation. Back in November, the Oricorla voted that there would be no other camogie activity fixtures um, permitted that day. It's all about the All-Ireland. We want people to come. So si simple things like that, making yeah. sure that, you know, people are available and there isn't a key match that they have to play back in. The, you know, there isn't a club championship going on the same day as the All-Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
our sponsors have been phenomenal in terms of getting eyes on the game. So last year we had Littlewoods streaming during the league. We had Liberty streaming during the championship. AIB uh, have been working with us this year on our club championship as well. So it's, and Tesco have just joined us as sponsors um, in our youth development area. Having brands like that involved in, in the association and promoting the game through their social media, but also the activation that they're doing so things like tv ads has been some really really nice if, if you've saw some of the little bit ads, ads from yes, uh, the league the you know really uh, powerful videos that show all levels of the game so you know one of them was talking about the generational thing and it was you know a, a grandmother and granddaughter and then one of them was you know showing what a training session really looks like and have certainly haven't chatted to uh some people the stories about about the filming of that and how much running they had to do just to get the second couple of seconds of film you know that was tough um but it it is about about asking people to come out and showing them how good the game is i mean if you look at all our all-ireland final last year the semi-finals two phenomenal games of camogie absolutely brilliant and when you talk about you know substance or you talk about a spectacle those games are, are they're second to none um similarly our all ireland final and you know if you sit down and watch back to back last year's all ireland hurling final and last year's all ireland camogie final there's one winner and it's the camogie so yeah. it is about showing people the skill level and the talent of our players. It's showing people the speed of our game. And it, it is uh, working with all of our partners to help us raise that profile and, and get people looking at it. And um, if you compare our ticket prices for our All-Ireland Final with some of the other big field sports, it's really, really affordable. You know, you're talking about... 30 euro, 25 euro is your ticket price for an adult on all Ireland final day, five euro for children, special offers all the way along. So keep an eye out for those as the year goes on. But some of it is about making it affordable. The day, because the crowd is smaller, the day is really pleasant. So you're, you also, we also need to get that message out there that it's a, it's a very easy day to come to Croke Park. You know, it's easier to get parking around town, <laughs> around the city, you know. Um, so it, it, it is a family day and it, it, we need to encourage people to, to avail of it. Yes, it's fabulous for the players. And listen, every time I go, I, I walk out to Crow Park, I still am in awe. No matter how many times you know, I, I work across the road, I see it every day. I'm always in awe. But for a player to walk onto that pitch and have that memory and for their family and their club to be able to celebrate with them and have that memory as well. Um, that team ethos and the strength of that day out in Crow Park, it doesn't dissipate. Uh, you know, people just remember it forever. It's amazing. It is. I mean, we, we, we don't really appreciate, we don't kind of fully understand just the impact that that has. And you said, like, it's everyone watching it involved and it just, it is a great sense of pride. Because so much, of course, tied up in Crow Park itself, the history of our games as well. So, again, it's very, very important. You, of course, had planned for the 3rd, third, 4th third, of April to have your Congress. Will you have a virtual Congress or will you just have to wait till later on in the year? And how will this affect your planning for the rest of the year? It was certainly tricky. So the first um, restrictions were due to finish at the end of March and we had to make the decision very quickly um, that they probably weren't going to be lifted by the 3rd and 4th of April and, and defer Congress. Um, from a plans point of view, we had a couple of launches at Congress so the first, that were due to be at Congress. The first one was our new website. So um, everyone can check that out on www.comogi.ie. Um, so it is a, a, an upgrade to our website and it, 
we launched it anyway as scheduled we just said no listen we're just going to we're going to go ahead and launch um and thankfully it has been fantastic because it's much more user friendly we've a lot of resources on there and we have just parachuted forward about 10 years in terms of our our organization using technology whether it's 600 over 600 people doing webinars last week Whoa. training and education webinars uh, phenomenal absolutely phenomenal so that's been brilliant that was one of our actions in our national development plan our national development plan was also supposed to be launched at congress on the third and fourth um so it's a four-year plan we're just working on um when we're going to launch that or how we're going to launch that at the minute because obviously it would have been great to launch it at congress I think the, the other thing, it's it's an election year for the Camogie Association, so we would elect a Nuktaran Tuffa, and that election didn't happen, so I, I suppose my my sympathies go out to the two candidates who are running, because their their campaigns obviously were, were cut short, and um, there is uncertainty around how and when we're going to be running Congress. Right now, we should have had our league finals all finished, getting ready for a championship. Um, uh, we've missed coming to Croker, it was supposed to be last weekend. Like we'd oodles, like every other sports organization in the country, we'd oodles and oodles of events planned all around the country, different age groups. And what we're doing at the minute is contingency planning. So we're contingency planning at national for when we can get back, whatever the first date back is. And um, we have a commitment to all our units that they want to fixtures till two weeks after the, oh. the date we're allowed to go back. Um, and really, we're you know this week we had a webinar with our um, clubs and we're asking for or for our counties to consider how their club championship can run with changes. So that might be running your club championship exactly as normal, or it might be bringing it forward. So if some counties might have had a tradition of running their county or the club championship in August, September, October, it's like, well, can they do that in July, August, September instead, you know, in case that that's how, how the, the restrictions are lifted. If there is, mm-hmm. everyone is really focused on getting their house in order. So as soon as we're back, they're going to, you know, get straight into activity. And it's tricky. <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine. But you're, at least you're making good use of the time that you have right now to prepare that, as I said, your perspective now will change and people will go, right, we're going to hit the ground running. Two small things. One, I want to ask you, what would you recommend, say, for just keeping the old mind and body ticking over at home? Um, and secondly, what sports documentaries or movie movies would you recommend watching? You can answer first or second, whichever one you want to do first. Though. How to stay, how to stay sane and yeah, healthy during this time. Stay, yeah, keep, keep keep the mind together first of all. Body can wait, but the mind can't. Yeah. Um, I know. Listen, it's 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 really tricky, and for. I know from for our team, our staff team, the first month was frantic. We were frantically trying to keep everything going and it was, you know, it was all new and, you know, people are used to working from home. Um, so that wasn't too bad, but uh, they weren't necessarily used to working from home, you know, every day, all day. And we got to meet, meet each other's dogs and cats and families and all of that, all of that. So a little bit of it was about celebrating that and go, do you know what? It's a little bit mad, but it's okay. And, yeah. you know, so, you know, that's, that's been, I suppose it's been open to things not being totally perfect for, for me. I practice yoga and uh, go out for a run or a walk within, you know, the allowed distances. Yeah. I did, um, I did stray a little further last weekend and I got stopped by the police. So oh. um, <laughs> I wasn't that far away. It was an extra half a mile away, maybe from where I was supposed to be. But uh, so I think, yeah, do try and get out every day. You know, 
get out as often as you can into the fresh air even if it's raining at least you're out and and you know you're, you're in the fresh air and we will be back to sport um I know certainly there's been days when I haven't felt like doing anything and I can appreciate if there's other people out there feeling the same but I know if I do get off my seat and <laughs> go for a run or a walk or or even just go and you know even just walk 20 meters the fresh air the birds singing it does make a difference okay for <laughs> more documentaries and movies that one's that one's hard because I'm kind of an addict. Like if you look at my book collection, there is a whole lot of sports autobiographies. The one that really um I suppose connected with me, probably because it's recent and um because I would have been, you know, I'm a fan. Um Katie Taylor, I you know, saw her her documentary there um a while ago and we rewatched it now during the during the lockdown. But uh, yeah, no, so uh, you know, seeing what seeing what she has achieved, I think as as a, an Irish athlete who when she set her sights on the Olympics, um boxing for women wasn't in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So for her to have achieved what she did with the vision when the sport wasn't even recognised at that level, I think, you know, it was a phenomenal achievement. Okay, so sorry, so um, a sports movie that you would recommend watching to pass the time? I've just started watching The Last Dance on Netflix. I'm oh. not sure how it goes. I saw the first episode and I enjoyed it, but then, uh, you know, the ones that everybody else, the ones that everybody else loves as well, you know. Um, the build it and they will come type idea. Okay, Feel of Dreams, yeah, okay. Capture, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm brutal on movie names, in case you hadn't got it already. <laughs> I don't know. If, it's good to watch to say, this is what we don't do. This is what we don't want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm, I'm not a major. I'm probably much more likely to be watching a match than watching a movie for most of the time, which is a bit sad, but there you go. Shane, listen, thank you so much for your time. And fingers crossed you can hit the ground running uh, very, very soon. Thank you again for your time. It's been an absolute education speaking with you. And we look forward to having you again on the show and seeing you in Europe very, very soon as well. Looking forward to it. Thanks very much, Alan. Take care. Thank you. Sinead McNulty, the Director General of the Comoke Association. Delighted to have her on. We'll speak to her again very, very soon, I'm sure. As the final whistle blows on this edition of this Sunday's game, the answer to that question we pose a little bit earlier who was the landlord who had a statue erected in his honour by his fellow townsfolk and tenants? It was, of course, Veer Henry Lewis Foster, born the 25th of April in 1819 in Copenhagen. He died on the 21st of December in 1900 in Belfast. However, his work in terms of famine relief during the Great Irish Famine for his tenants in County Louth in Ireland, saw not one but two statues erected, one in RD and one in Talonstown. He is better remembered and better known for his copybooks, which are still used in the Republic of Ireland down until the 1950s. And many of us growing up in the 70s and 80s will remember having to practice our handwriting in those, well, interesting copybooks. Okay, we're going away right now. Again, our thanks to Jonathan Higgins and to Sinead McNulty. We'll be back on Wednesday with some more great news on this Sunday's game.